0: It really is about building bridges. Good advocacy, good organizing is about building bridges.
1: Welcome to the Unforgotten Families podcast, an action-oriented community of hope, inclusivity, and compassion for all medically fragile families. This podcast was created to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of these resilient individuals. It's our hope that the information and stories we share will inspire and empower you to join us in advocating for these families and help to ensure that they are never forgotten. Hello, Tough Advocates. Today, we are grateful to be connecting with Christopher R.J. Worth, who is a community educator and organizer with over 15 years of experience. Chris holds certifications from Missouri Jobs with Justice and from the Industrial Areas Foundation, founded by the father of community organizing, Saul Alinsky. Chris was born with cerebral palsy in Bridgeport, Connecticut. His parents, due to hardship, put him in foster care. While in this system, Chris was educated through the institution until he was adopted at the age of 11 by family in West Virginia. Chris currently organizes within the disability community. He is one of the founding members of the Coalition of Truth and Independence, a grassroots disability rights organization based in St. Louis, Missouri. Chris is currently pursuing his PhD in special education with a focus in teaching and learning processes. Chris is a knowledgeable and hardworking advocate that I feel privileged to learn from every time I speak with him. In this episode, Chris will inspire you with his story, empower you with his knowledge, and activate you with his passion we hope you enjoy. Hello, Tough Advocates. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode. I'm really grateful and excited to be connecting with our friend, Chris Worth. Chris, thank you for joining us today.
0: Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to um, be a part of the be brought into this community and be a part of it.
1: I am stoked to have you a part of this community. And I, you know, as I was having a conversation with you recently, I just kind of every time I get off the phone, I realize that I've learned multiple things. And I'm like, well, you know, I feel like we need to share this and, you know, your knowledge and your heart with our community. And so, yeah, I'm excited to dive in with you. Thank you. So, you know, when we talk about the word advocacy, there's of course a definition in the dictionary. Uh, but I realize when I speak with you that you know the word advocacy could mean something different to different people. Um, what does advocacy mean to you?
0: Well, I kind of um I kind of break it down in a in a way that's a little different. I you know, I start with the idea that we are a community, so as an advocate, It is, you know, advocating for yourself is one thing and advocating for your community um, is often treated as another thing, right? Two separate things. But really, my approach says that even when we are advocating for ourselves, we're speaking for a whole community. Now, (laughs) I don't want to be, I don't want to overwhelm folks, right? Because, you know, I'm white, and I'm super privileged, I'm male presenting, all of this stuff that has given me a whole bunch. So even with with my cerebral palsy, even with my segregated school life, even with all of the kind of crap that I went through, I have a bunch of privilege. So I want you to understand that my definition of advocacy is informed by that. Right. So, I really want to start from community, and at its core, part and parcel with advocacy is is this thing for me, for me, guys. Is this thing called community organizing? And so, advocacy for me is building power. It's also everything that you would see in the dictionary. Am right. But it's a it really is about holding up a community right and sort of an understanding that we are part of the community so my cerebral palsy um, uh, makes me who I am and my community of folks with disabilities right makes me who I am right so so I don't uh, so everything we everything I talk about, I I try to use a lens of uh, disability pride. And and I start from there, even in my advocating, even in my organizing. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that explanation. You know, and, and, you know, one thing, again, that I think about when I speak with you is, you know, I learned so much in, in just... T- figuring out how I share things and, and how I, you know, how I can, how I can be the best advocate and, you know, at tough, that's what our goal is to, to be the best advocates and champions that we can be. So what makes someone a strong advocate?
0: Well, from my perspective, compassion, right. And ability, And also within compassion, the ability to negotiate. So, so many times, right? So I, I come from a background as a community organizer uh, um, from the environmental movement, right? So I'm from, um, I haven't always lived in St. Louis. I'm from Appalachia, West Virginia. And in that area of the world, there, there's a lot of environmental a lot of environmental devastation. When I was younger, you know, I wanted to burn the system down, right? Like we all do as advocates and as young, I'm going to use a word that, you know, might be a little hard for some people. As young activists, I think think activism can be a really positive thing and is. So I wanted to, you know, burn out injustice, right? Like anybody, but, but I was a bonfire, right? I was a bonfire, right? And bonfires burn out quick, right? They're, they're hot. I was hot. I'm still a little hot, but uh, uh I, uh, you know, they burn out quick. So what I had to learn and, and what I think is the core of good organizing and Good advocacy is that you need to have what Jim Tusher, a person that came up in the disability rights movement, used to call cold fusion kind of energy, right? You need to take that and understand that the bonfire is not going to last. But if you create a small fire in your stomach, he always used to say, the fire in your belly. Right, then, then you can last and you can make real change. But if if you, uh, but part of that is understanding that as advocates, we aren't always going to get what we want. <laughs> we aren't always going to get what we want. Period. 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 Right away. Right. Mm. Things take time. Things take time, and you know, I know there. <laughs> You know it's hard when you've got, for example, children who are stuck in situations where they're not being educated appropriately because they don't have the supports and services they need, right? Or there, or or there are people tearing up your mountains, right? <laughs> right to get at coal seams, right? It's hard to say, oh well, I'll negotiate. But the thing is, it really is, and I, I don't want to sound like a bumper sticker, so I, it really is about building bridges. Good advocacy, good organizing is about building bridges. And one thing and then I'll take a breath, but one, one thing that I you know, I'm telling people constantly, Advocacy isn't always the most effective when you're yelling. It isn't always the most effective. Um, now, I love tears in advocacy, right? But we can go into that later. But, but it isn't always the most effective to go right to, you know, burning down or right to protest. I love protests, but you have to have a strategy
1: beautiful thank you and i i know that you actually have been trained at a place called industrial arios foundation Mm -hmm. um it sounds like there's a lot of you know lessons i can just tell by how you're sharing that there's a lot of lessons within you know your experience what did you learn from uh industrial arios foundation is that some of what we're hearing right now yeah
0: i I am a i am a man who thinks for myself or a person Rather, a person who thinks for myself, but I do love the idea of knowledge building on on itself. So, yeah, you're hearing a lot of industrial areas foundation because it was one of the first places where I learned it was okay to, you know, not win all the time if you had a strategy. Or it was okay to incrementally move forward. In one of the exercises I did at the at the training, and I and I do this today, um, but we do this thing called the Malian exercise. And during the Malian exercise, you have to decide whether you're going to give um, your resources away or you're going to keep them. Come hell or high water. And under the threat of losing everything, right? And of course, when I first played that game, guess what I did? What'd you do? I, f- I fell to the pressure of the group I was in, right? And to my own history, which said, if people in power are going to take it, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, screw that. And I'm going to fight you, Right understanding understanding that fighting I don't it doesn't always mean burning things down but in that moment that's what it meant and so I lost the game and you know thinking that I was because I had already when I went to that school I had already been organizing for quite some time right I thought I knew stuff right but like any good experience. It reinforced the good stuff and then blew my mind about other things. And so I we have to learn, especially folks with disabilities, because we're not always, you know, we're not part of the larger social narratives. I think that's beginning to change. But you don't hear about the disability rights movement when you're talking about um, African-American civil rights. Or when you're talking about LGBTQ AI rights or right, but we're inner we're intertwined with all those movements. Right? That's the that's the that's the thing. And I think that for us, we have to understand that we are a community. We have to, be, we have to begin to see us, ourselves as a, a cultural pressure point, if you will, right? And I think that because we're always fighting in the way that we're fighting, right? Created by the system too. I mean, I mean, a lot of it is created by the system. That's one reason you do the work that you do, right? right? Because the system creates these situations where parents feel disempowered, children feel disempowered, right? You know, I think good organizing, good advocacy, creates space for power, but we also have to be okay with not always winning.
1: Yeah, it's obviously an important part of the conversation. It seems like the takeaways that I'm getting is that we need to come from a place of compassion, not only for ourselves and for the community, but also when we're interacting and that we aren't just going to be trying to fight the people we have to like commune with them. We have to understand and teach. And then that patience, it feels like patience is, is a part of yeah. the conversation where, you know,
0: and that doesn't mean don't be tough. Mm. Right. That doesn't mean like, um, no, oh, I love the, the title of this, uh, podcast. Can you repeat it?
1: Yeah. It's the unforgotten families, which is tough. Uh, T U F.
0: Yeah. Tough. Right. You have to be, but there's a reason that being meek doesn't mean being weak. Mm, Being I like that doesn't mean being weak, because you have to have a toughness
1: to to make a new world, and that's what I'm in the business of. I love that, and and you know you have a consultancy called It's Worth Organizing, which I love the pun. Yeah, <laughs> the pun on that. So good, good job with that. And you know, and you went to the IAF, which is the Industrial Areas found. What what's been like one of your biggest takeaways in successful organizing?
0: Well, I shared the biggest, the you know negotiation, negotiation, negotiation. But I think also. Including people with dis- disabilities in movement building, right? I've been in lots of radical spaces uh, all over the place where people with disabilities, it was sh- shocking that there were people with disabilities who wanted to be involved in this, that, or the other thing. So um, always including people with disabilities. And we have our own maxim around that, actually. Nothing about us without us. Mm. So, um, lots of, you know, there is a parent movement in the disability rights history, right? There is a parent movement, and we need to take from that. But the children were involved.
1: Yeah, that's one of when I think about uh, when I when I think back on our conversations, that's one of the things that's always stuck out to me that you told me, I think it was like you you made me stop before I got off the call. And you're like, hey, you know, as you work on this, make sure you're focusing on the kids and not the parents. Of course, we want to help the parents, but make sure that the focus is on the children.
0: That's right. And you can combine those stories. Um, Another thing is. Another takeaway is, and, you know, young organizers, they laugh at me because, the, you know, they, they want to collect names and they want to, you know, put people in um, vans and take them to Jeff City, right? Um, uh, Jeff City is our capital. Um, and that's, that's all good, but the most powerful thing, the most powerful tool, and this actually comes from a guy at the Harvard Kennedy School, called Marshall gons And uh, he's amazing. He talks about the power of the story, the power of the story. And, you know, lots of people talk about story collection. You've, you've done um, story collection within your various projects, right? But understanding the power of that is amazing because for me, when I was younger, I didn't always, you know, why are we collecting these things? People are connected, <laughs> right? The, 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 we all belong to a common story. We act like we're not because some of our, us are rich, some of us are poor, some of us have disabilities, but we all have a common story. And if we connect to that story, the way we connect is by Telling our story, right? Uh, those are the biggest takeaways. Collecting stories has an impact.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that was interesting when I sent you the video of our our little friend Chase, where we did a little video of his story, and you were like, I, I think we hadn't really had the conversation around, you know, what your disability was. And I even used the word diagnosis and you corrected me and said, no, let's claim the word disability. But in that process, we got connected because you're like, that's, you know, I have cerebral palsy. Did you know that? Yeah. Um, and so th- this is kind of what you're talking about. You know, when we share our stories, then we find our connections. And then now we're a part of a community together. Right. And, and you and Chase are in a community together. That's, um, that's awesome. I- Thank you. And
0: and can I add one more
1: thing? Of course, of course. Um,
0: the other, the other thing, and it's super hard for people and, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to choose when you're going to use it, um, carefully, I think, but, and how you use it and how you let people use it, but being vulnerable, we don't do enough of that, <laughs> Being vulnerable means sharing something of yourself that you might not, right? That that might hurt a little bit, right? (laughs) Now, does that mean that you have to be the teacher of the dominant culture all the time, every day? No. But being vulnerable will connect you to people, right? And make it real. So like if you sat in your you know stu- studio with the fake is that fake plant it is It's a fake plant studio with the fake plant behind you and you didn't build a relationship with me right I couldn't hear your emotion on the other end of the phone right what what would that mean that all right it would just be another you know uh, uh, Oprah talk or you know I don't know what being on Oprah is like but Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel um, one of, I I have a, I know someone, um, his name is Adam Roa and he says, vulnerability is the gateway to connection. It is.
0: And the gateway to change. Mm. And so let's add to what he said. And so can you repeat what he said?
1: Vulnerability is the gateway to connection.
0: Comma and the gateway to real change. I mean, mm. real change
1: because because if, if, if we're going to work together and make things happen together we have to be connected without the masks we have to be connected in a deep way so that I know you and you know me and we are working and moving together
0: yeah and just in case people think I'm being like kumbaya you know um, but I, I'm not I mean this is a being vulnerable is a component of making real change, right? Just like, you know, we we use terms all the time in the disability community, right? And we have this term called, you know, full inclusion, right? And being vulnerable is about allowing full inclusion to work. And the, the reason full inclusion is important to organizing is full inclusion means that Everyone with a disability is invited to the table, whatever table that might be, and they're included in decision-making, and and their experience goes beyond, oh, they have a cute smile, right? Um, We're going to make them an advertisement for our thing, right? Or, uh, you know, I was a poster child for United Cerebral Palsy in Connecticut, right, when I was younger, right? Well, being a poster child doesn't always equal um, being uh, included, right? Mm, Yeah. So I think um, too often we kind of get behind these buzzwords, but we don't really see them implemented in real ways because people with disabilities might not always be safe, right? People with disabilities... Might have to take risks, right? Marshall Guns talks a lot about if you're gonna really organize, if you're really going to change things, then you have to take risk, right? Right. And sometimes, especially when a parent has been in a situation where they've been the only caregiver, or you know, and the and the world has been very small, who wants to risk? It? stepping outside of that, right. It's, it's full of fear, but, you know, part of my scholarship, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a PhD student at the university of Missouri, St. Louis. Part of my scholarship is about taking risk and how important that is to developing cognitive, you know, pathways. And right. It's scary, (laughs) but for full inclusion to work, we have to include people with disabilities in our campaigns. We can't just use them
1: as props. Right? I actually feel like I want to re- now circle back to this Chase story because I talked to you before I met Chase. And when we went we had the intention and had the plan to interview his mother. Um, And in the video, which you've seen, and if anyone's listening, you can find it on YouTube, The Unforgotten Families. We interviewed mom for a while and we look over and and Chase, you know, not everyone is like Chase that can speak for himself and say what he wants to say. And so, um, you know, Sam, who my friend, who's the videographer and I look over at Chase and we're like, what do you want to say? And that that clip is literally just what he wanted to say. He We just said, what do you want to say? And that's what he said. And I, I know you saw the video and I know it's, I get inspired. I, I teared up when he said that to my face. Yeah.
0: No, let, let me tell you, that doesn't mean that you can't like that. I, I responded to you and I said, that's a powerful video. You just reinforced that he was involved in making it. And, and that's what I'm looking for. That's what we should be looking for. Not that you can't have a powerful video. <laughs> you just can't be, uh, I'm, I'm not sure any listeners will remember this, but Jerry Lewis about it, right? Jerry did a lot for a March of Dimes, right? But he started calling 50-year-olds his children, right? <laughs> right, you know? And the thing is, if we're going to fully include people with disability in movement building, Right, Mm -hmm. which is what organizing says to do, which is what good advocacy um, should be about, then we got to not infantile, um, I don't know the fancy word for it, but make into infants people with disability.
1: Thank you for sharing that. This is the kind of thing I'm telling you. It was like, these are the kind of things I get to absorb uh, when I talk to you and I appreciate you sharing that. In that vein, What's your take? You know, I you know I know you don't know all the ins and outs and everything, but, you know, with a family CNA program that's in Colorado, and we've now gotten support in passing in Arizona.
0: As we talked about when we first met, right before I left my organizing job with a pretty big nonprofit, we were collecting stories uh, with a parent who, or a grandparent rather, um, and she was having trouble because her son needed, you know, care from an LPN, somebody who could work the equipment for the breathing stuff. An and,
1: LPN or an RN.
0: Yeah, she couldn't get training, right? Like, the rules just kept her from being able to, you know, make their life better, right? So he he her grandson ended up being stuck in a hospital right? Because that's where he could get the care he needed. And the thing is, <laughs> this goes, your the the campaign that you're, I'm going to use the word fighting, right? Which is, I think for this is appropriate, is important because it impacts that whole idea of full inclusion, right? Right. Um, when when a young person is tra- basically trapped because they can't get the services, the parent is strapped because they can't really work because they have to, they have to, and they want to <laughs> take care uh, take care of their child, right? That that creates what we in organizing call pressure, <laughs> Right. Um, usually we're talking about that in a positive sense, but that pressure can erode not, not, just, not just the bank account, right? We got to be careful not to make it about money, although it is about money, right? Um, but it can erode that child's ability to make connection with people outside of their parents, right? It kind of creates a bubble, Right? but but if they get the the funding that they needed to give the the child care their child care then that bubble can expand right they don't have to be trapped at home right or in the hospital right
1: no i think that's a great a great example um you know if if a of a grandmother like that is able to be trained and paid then she can have her grandchild home, care for that child, and when we're talking about focusing on the child, that child has a caregiver that loves them and cares about them and can be with them. On top of that, that caregiver is not going to be as stressed and worried because they're actually making a living being there and 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 remember someone someone has to be paid to be there by the state already so why not let it be the grandmother who loves this child and wants to care for them
0: and the world expands for the child because you know maybe uh, if it were the state paying a person to be there that the child would have to be there at a certain time they would get their care in a very tight box, which we, which in my case, you know, I, I don't need those kind of services, but I do have in-home care workers who come and give me a shower, get me on and off the toilet and things like that. Uh, even though I pay them out of pocket, I have to, you know, I have to work my life around them, Right. So even for me, you know, in a natural state, in a state where I like these people that work for me, you know, and they've been working for me for a long time, I still have to be confined. Imagine, imagine if you don't get those choice,
1: you don't have that choice, you know exactly and and the the interesting and cool thing is when these parents get these the way that it works in Colorado is they get a cNA license which not only allows them to do the care that you're talking about the bathing the you know the maybe lower levels of care yeah. um, they're also able to work up to you know things like g tube feedings and they're able to do um, a certain things that a normal cNA wouldn't be able to do and so not only so now they have the full uh, breath of the care. And so what we're talking about here is including. So I wanted to hear your your thoughts on this before we move forward on it.
0: You know, uh, you know a, a world where um, barriers don't exist is what we're aiming for. You know, it's not a perfect world. Another thing that organizing teaches you. But through projects like this, through pr- projects that I've been involved in, we move the needle, we move the needle again. It's not gonna, it's not always going to be perfect, but the, the idea is that we move the needle and that, you know, the grandmother and, you know, can, can see her grandson be a, be a more full active member through this program.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, while we, while we have you, um, on here with us and, you know, the people, you know, the, the tough advocates that we have listening to this episode are families and they're people who care about families and they're potentially, you know, kiddos. I know that there's a few doctors that are listening to this as well. You know, what would you want to share with, you know, the, the families and the advocates? in general like what, what would you want to say to them about being an advocate like from you to them
0: you're a powerful person when we're beaten down by a system or we feel hemmed in by the rules we don't always feel powerful and the, th- the thing is like we need to be reminded that we already have the skills we need to be powerful But, you know, you can kind of be your own sculptor and chip away and sharpen and strengthen and understand that there's always something that we can learn, right? You know, it's really hard to say do away with professionalism, but I would love to, that's one thing I would love to burn is that whole concept of, you know, professionalism. So for the doctors and the social workers and even the legislators in our community who might be listening to this, we don't wanna create barriers to hearing these stories, right, to to joining this community, right? And professionalism is often, and I know this is a buzz term, But it's often weaponized by the system to say, if you jump through these hoops, then everything will be okay in the end. You know, one thing we're learning this morning is that it's okay if it's not okay all the time, right? And that we are moving towards okay, right? And, and, you know maybe this this whole weaponization of professionalism can be replaced with just being kind and being honest right but being kind while you're being honest and getting to know each other in the in the mix of it
1: bringing back the compassion that's what uh that's what i'm really feeling from that is not not just compassion for the other, but compassion for oneself, um, and and being able to take off the mask and say, "Hey, I'm human too." Yeah, um, and I think that, yeah, I, I feel that it's like we have these, we have these ideas. We have, you know, I'm an adult, and so because I'm an adult, then, uh, you know, I'm going to act a certain way because I'm a uh a man, men don't cry, so I'm not gonna be vulnerable with you. I'm gonna hold it all in and, and sweep it under the rug, or you know, I'm a professional and I only speak in this way and that that may exclude people that might not have the same education or whatever it may be. So I totally it does not resonate with that.
0: It doesn't may excuse. It does excuse. Hmm. It exclude. That's my take.
1: Yeah. The one thing I want else I wanted to ask you is when you do feel down or when you are, you know, pushing and pushing and you just keep hitting that wall, what keeps you going?
0: It's a good question. So um, I'm going to give you two things. One is going to come from my training. The other is going to come from my heart. Not that they don't overlap, but I was adopted. And I was adopted from a um, a kind of financially vulnerable, uh, working-class family into a rather wealthy, affluent family. And I was adopted at 11. So I had full memory of the other world. And I still have that memory. And seeing the difference now, my adopted family didn't like throw money at me. I didn't go to any fancy yada yada. But the access to advocacy was strong just by my new last name, right? Which speaks to uh, which speaks to uh, inequities all over the place, right? And remembering that. When I'm feeling like shit and things aren't always, you know, going, um, remembering that gives me strength. It keeps that fire inside me, right, that cold fire um, stoked a little bit because, right, I am well removed from my family now as an adult, but I'm still, I still have access I have a house. Most people don't own their house with disabilities, I mean. Uh, The other thing that I try to remember is that we're edging towards a new reality, and that's going to come with pain, right? That's going to come with uh, some birthing pains, right? Uh, But, you know, What gets me up is that, and keeps me from being depressed, is that I can see those that change. As an organizer and as an advocate, and I'm always reflecting. This is where my training comes in. Organizing says we always have to step back and we always have to take a breath, and maybe not six, but we take a breath. And we connect to what we're seeing in front of us. And we're critical about it. (laughs) It's okay to be like, that didn't work. But what about it worked? There's always something. Mm. right? And those are the two things.
1: I love those things. Thank you. Yeah, the edge. And it's like an interesting dichotomy where it's like the edge you, you there's the fear and there's the you know going over that edge there's 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 an unknown um and then there's also you know a trust that you're you're moving in the right direction and then that and then having compassion as well that it takes time and so like i i, I like that it's like this um That we're always edging. We're always moving forward, whether we see it or not. Yeah. The fact that we're moving forward and organizing and taking action, even if it doesn't feel like a big, you know, hurrah every moment, the fact that we're always edging.
0: And it's not always going to. In this community, um, you know, Medicaid isn't very sexy, right? Right. It's hard to get behind some of that stuff but when you see someone like um who was the young man in the clip chase chase there there um, chase made me made, made me want to double down right make, make sure that i'm looking at my calendar to be here this morning you know
1: right i know i love that i love that and i think that's going to be awesome for chase's mom and chase to hear that right chase to hear that And Chase's mom. Yeah, there we go. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you're doing and for being here and for sharing with me and for being compassionate with me in the process of me learning. Um, And, yeah, we just really appreciate you. And I guess I'll give you one last space to, A, where can people find you? Um, And B, if there's anything else that you feel called to share before we close out,
0: um, so I'm easily found um, on the Facebook Christopher R J Worth, and then I'm a visual artist. I'm I a master's in painting. One of my masters. Uh, that's a lot of privilege there too, you know. You know, but um, so you should. Uh, um, if you Google me, you'll see a lot of images um, that I've made. And you might be directed to my Facebook art page, but that way you can also get to my other page.
1: Amazing. Look, I didn't even know this yet, and I'm going to check it out. Thank you, Chris, for all that you do and who you are, and um, until next time. Hello, Tough Advocates. We really hope you enjoyed this episode with Chris as much as we did. Thank you so much for tuning in. We wanted to remind you that tomorrow we are releasing our second video in our YouTube series, The Real Unforgotten Families. In this video, we're sharing the story of Wesley and Megan and how the Family CNA program gives Megan the ability to support her family while ensuring that Wesley receives the care that he needs and deserves. Our goal is to make it possible for families in every state to have the same choice and opportunity that they have. Please check it out, subscribe, and share the video with your community. Every bit helps. Thank you for being a tough advocate, and we hope to see you on the next episode.